we can move into our next session. And for those of you that don't know, Mike's been hosting a podcast series that's been really interesting about the transformation from accountant to CFO and all things that go along with that. So I thought it was a really interesting career pathing discussion. And we've got one of those for you here today. We've got Angela Smoller here, the CFO at SeekOps. And she's a longtime Flowcast user right here in Austin, Texas. So let's bring Angela to the stage. And I'll let you guys get into it. Well played once again, Chris. I appreciate the embarrassment. But I do love sugar, so I am excited about the Funfetti cake. All right, so thank you, Angela, for joining us today. I uh, want to set the, the stage with some context here. So I was an auditor. Um, when I was doing this, I always knew I wanted to be a CFO one day. That was my goal in the industry. Um, and you know, I didn't know really what that entailed, but I figured I'm coming up through the finance world. I think very highly of myself, so I can probably be a CFO one day. Um, I ultimately did not go that route. I founded Flowcast. And in starting Flowcast, I've been able to meet a lot of really great CFOs over the years. Um, and what I realized is that when I was in accounting, I had no idea what an actual CFO does what they do well. Um, and I think part of that is also, we discussed it earlier, is the evolving role of the CFO very much kind of operating more like a CEO or a COO. And that's been fascinating to learn about. So I started this podcast to help people like myself, angsty millennials from eight years ago, figure out how they could kind of navigate their career to position themselves uh, to be CFOs. And so I started lining up these interview series and have been meeting with CFOs of all different backgrounds, right? So some people came up th through the CPA ranks, some did not, but just interested hearing, you know, what they do on a day-to-day -day basis and what skills actually help you be successful in this role. So excited to have Angela with us today Thank to you. go through that. Um, so this is, you know, simple. We just cut straight to business. Let's walk through your career and talk about things you learned and who you worked with along the way. So let's go. Sure. So um, I grew up in small town, Missouri, and then decided I wanted to go somewhere bigger for college. So I went to University of Kentucky in Lexington and got my undergrad and master's both in accounting. Um, the, it was a very defined career path out of that. You go into public. So I started out at audit and uh, with Deloitte and then um, moved to Crow. I moved back to Lexington and they didn't have a Deloitte office there. So a uh, total of five years in public auditing and then the career path was, do you wanna be a manager or not? And I said, I'll take the or not. <laughs> so um, I moved out to industry and started as a division controller with a company called Affiliated Computer Services, um, which was a very large company that no one has ever heard of. Um, it was about 70,000 employees um, but the offices in Lexington were much smaller, um, and the, the family who owned the business still were involved in running the business, so it felt a lot smaller than a typical 70,000 employee company. Um, so I started as a business controller, managing about a million dollars of revenue, um, and kind of the way that I do things in general um, is I go into an opportunity, figure out how to do it faster, better, automate as much as possible, put as many checks in place so that I know that it's all right when I get done. And I take a job that was taking somebody 50 hours a week and I take it down to probably like 30 or something. So then I hang out for like, you know, a minute and then I'm bored. Um, so then I go figure out what I'm gonna do next. So they handed me another division. So I did that for a while in addition. And then- Sorry oh, to cut you off here. Those divisions you were running, what yes. did the team structures look like? Or were you handling all of it? 
Sure. So at the time, accounting and finance was combined. So I was all of it. Um, as the division controller was handling all of the forecasting, all of the month-end close, the whole, the whole gamut of things. Um, but from a forecasting side, it was basically just the operational P&L. So there was no um, you know, corporate, I didn't deal with cash and all that kind of stuff. So it was very operational focused. Um, so grew through, and by the end of eight years, I was the assistant vice president of finance managing a billion dollars of revenue. Um, so really, that, that allowed me to experience the company growth and uh, learn kind of how things change as dollars grow and managing people under you. Um, and I learned that starting at the bottom is actually one of the best ways to manage from the top because you understand exactly what your team is trying to do, and you've actually done it. <laughs> so that, for me, was extremely helpful. Um, so after eight years, I ended up um, inheriting a really terrible boss. <laughs> so, Can I stop you? Yeah. Can we go back to the last job? Did you have any good boss you worked for that you really liked boss. and learned some stuff from? Yes. Yeah. I had a boss named Renee who was the most amazing person I've ever worked with. She was smart, she was nice, she was caring, she was helpful. Um, there were no stupid questions, because I asked a lot of questions, because that's how I learn. Um, and she, she supported me along the way, knew I wanted to do more, supported me in that, and gave me opportunities. Um, but one thing I learned was you have to be vocal. So if she didn't know that I wanted to do something more, I probably wouldn't have had all the opportunities that were given to me. So you need to tell your superiors and your coworkers that you have this desire to do more if that's what you want. That, that has been a theme with the interviews I've had. And just we've, we have eight of these in the, the books now. But everyone, they seem very intentional about learning and speaking with their bosses about learning. And they seem very confident doing that. And kind of one of the first transitions is getting into the finance side. So I'm curious. Um, how many people have have gotten exposure to the kind of FP&A side of the shop in addition to accounting? So good, good amount. Cool. That's kind of the, from what I've seen, that's really the first step in making that transition is seeing that pull together. So, all right. Yes, and that opportunity presented itself in a very, uh, very uh, obvious way. Um, we were acquired by Xerox um, and while I was there, and after about a year, they decided to separate accounting and finance. So some people were asked which side they wanted to go to. Some people were not. Fortunately, I was. And if I wasn't, I probably would have told them anyway. Um, but I ended up in finance on purpose because um, I knew that's the route that I wanted to go. Um, so working with operations and really uh, focusing on the business side of things um, but also understanding how the business activities impacted the accounting and the financials is really what leads you into having that understanding and ability to move toward that CFO path. Yeah, and I've, in the ones I've spoken with, the CFOs who came up through the accounting ranks, when you know the transactional level detail, it's, it's such a more well-rounded skill set because they'll figure out FP&A along the way. Presumably, they'll have some great boss where they learn a lot of managerial techniques from um, and get better. So I, I feel like this is the most well-rounded CFO is if you come up through the accounting ranks and figure it out. Um, so operations is a big part of this as well that starts to come in. So you're at a couple of big companies here. Like, what what are what did you learn about operations there? And then I want to talk about how that changed in your next in your next couple of roles. Yeah. So um, I learned that I don't like 
all of the red tape that is required to run a company of that size. So that's when I, and it is required. It's not something that you cannot have at a company that size. It's just too big. So you have to have all these rules and all these processes and procedures that are extremely well-defined and layered and layered and layered and layered. Um, so I learned through that 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 was not the kind of company that I was gonna be best suited for. I wanted to be in a company where it was smaller and I had, could have a lot more influence in decision making. All right, well, let's move on to a smaller company where you had more influence in decision making. Yes, so the last two years that I was there, I had moved to Austin um, and took my job with me. I worked from home for the last two years. Um, Ended up with a terrible boss. I had already started looking some, but a terrible boss will make you look a lot harder. Uh, so um, I, I met with a recruiter, um, met with a lot of people that I knew in town. Um, it was a little hard because I didn't have a huge network here. Um, but at the time, I was able to land a role as a controller for two different portfolio companies um, for a PE firm here in town. Um, and that opportunity... Uh, allowed me to come into a, a small company that had very little processes and procedures and was taking forever to close their books where I was used to like early close and were done before the month ever is over um, and came in and took all of that knowledge that I had and that experience and was able to apply it to a small company. Um, and I think one of the things that um, allowed me to kind of transition it to a small company was having audit experience and being comfortable with materiality. <laughs> so I think a lot of times um, trying to apply the same rules from a large company to a small company, it just doesn't work the same. So you have to understand that things are going to be a little different. It's not going to be as stringent. There's going to be, um, you know, ways that, that everyone basically in any role, whether it's AP, AR, uh, staff accountant, all of these people are going to have some level of decision-making that they need to be given to be able to do their role so that you're not doing everything. <laughs> so, go ahead. No, and materiality is really important. One of the, the other things I've found is to, to move up, you gotta start to let go of the details oh. a little bit and not be so, so minute about how you tie things out. I'm, I'm curious here, how many people embrace materiality with their tie-outs? You're cool if it's off by a little bit? That is wonderful to hear. <laughs> and for those of you who are not doing it, might I recommend, uh, it's very easy to find the materiality calculations that auditors leverage to come out and audit you. So you can reverse engineer that number and that should magically be the materiality that you all shoot for. Piece of advice there. Heard that from <laughs> other CFOs as well. Yep. Um, so what happened next, I was there for four months and the CFO for one of the portfolio companies resigned. And they said, here you go. And I was like, oh, okay, this is happening. Oh, I'm not ready, but I am ready. I'll do it. I'll figure it out, right? So um, a lot of the path is opportunity that sometimes just lands in your lap. That, this is the biggest problem I've, I've found for a lot of people is they just don't get the opportunity. And a, a common one is going to a smaller company where you have a lot of responsibility. And then if you wait it out, when a big fall trees, when a big tree falls, the other ones move up from there. And so you, this opportunity presents itself and just say yes. Absolutely. Just say yes. Just say it. yes. Because they wouldn't have offered it to me if they didn't think I had the ability to do it. They knew I didn't have that level of experience, um, but they knew me well enough to know that I was going to figure it out and make it happen. Um, plus, they were there to support me if I did need help. So I wasn't just out there floating on an island. Um, so I jumped at the opportunity, 
took it on full force. Um, was this? I I wasn't given the title of CFO at that time. It was, I know, director of finance, um, but that's okay. Um, and and that's the other thing. Sometimes you might not get the title, but you're doing the job. Be okay with that. Like you're learning, and you'll get there. And by the way. Raises come when titles get increased. Yes. I actually negotiated a lower title at my first job because I knew that if I kept my title lower, that could be an excuse to give me a raise in a couple of years. <laughs> Just a thought. Um, so the next thing that happened is um, the controller that I had working for me um, was doing an excellent job, and he was the, he was the assistant controller at the time. Um, I, I was still functioning as the controller for both companies and the CFO for one. And I decided that it was time to promote him to controller. So um, the other portfolio company had a CFO. He became the full controller. I left responsibility from that company and moved to just CFO responsibility for the remaining company that I had. What that allowed me to do was then offer my time and availability to running the business as a whole becoming involved in operations, becoming involved in strategy, working directly with sales and the CEO and marketing and learning about how all of these functions work together and how everything they do comes back and impacts my job because the budget and the results is a result of everything around you. Very, yeah, that's the, the understanding of the business at large is another common thing I hear. And when we're accountants, we're in the transactions, you can get a good sense of it. Then when you move into budgeting, you move into the FP&A side, you get to budget, work with the department heads to understand kind of how they think about running their departments. And to be good at FP&A, you need to have a broader understanding of the company. And then once you move up enough, you actually get into those conversations and you're part of the, the strategic discussion. So one thing I found interesting is a lot of the CFOs I talk to, they learn from people who are not CFOs. They learn from other executives a lot to help make them better. So do you have any examples of non-CFOs? Absolutely. Um, I worked for a CEO who was very heavy into um, kind of uh, knowing who you are, understanding your strengths, understanding your strengths as a manager, learning how to manage. I read a ton of books. Um, I still read a ton of books trying to learn more about everything. Um, and so becoming aware of your strengths and your weaknesses will allow you to improve and know where your strengths are and push toward those. Um, because I think sometimes people try to be experts at everything. And I'm not an expert at everything, that's for sure. I know where my strengths are. And that's what can guide you into what is the right CFO role for me? Or what is the right company for me? Because you figure out where your strengths are going to provide the most value to that opportunity. Yeah, and one of the misconceptions I had up front is that the, the people who I'm reporting to should know how I do my job, which, which when you're 23 years old, that kind of makes sense. You're like, oh, this stupid controller doesn't even know how I book revenue entries every day. <laughs> but that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Their job is not to book revenue journal entries every day. They hired me to do that so they could do other stuff. So just the simple notion of like, yeah, you're not an expert in everything. You know enough to be dangerous. You basically know enough to be annoying and ask questions yeah. about things is really important. And then selfishly to move up in your career, you want to hire people to do stuff you don't want to do and that doesn't Absolutely. apply to that <laughs> career path anymore. Yes. Hence your controller promotion, right? Yes. So the next thing that happened is something else that is important. So I've been telling you about how all these opportunities came about, right? Well, I also got let go. 
So what happened was one of the other portfolio companies sold. The remaining team was a shared uh, finance and accounting team. The, the remaining company couldn't afford me. So they decided to just have the controller and he would take over all the responsibility for everything. And um, I was let go. So I was then job searching. And I, was, I had never been in that position before. It was very challenging for me emotionally. It was a huge hit. Um, but I took a step back and tried to figure out what I needed to do next. And I needed to network. Because networking is the key to almost everything. <laughs> because all of these opportunities, even in my past, had come about because someone knew that I was looking for opportunity. So I spent my time and effort reaching out to everyone and anyone that would talk to me, whether it was bankers that I knew, auditors that I knew, people that knew somebody. And what I found was it was amazing how generous people really are. They want to help. And so part of networking is also, you know, starting out, I felt like I didn't have something to kind of give back at the time. Um, but here I am a year later, and I enjoy networking so much more now because I, it's not just a take, take, take from everybody, right? I feel like I can go in and offer knowledge that I have and experience that I have as well. Um, so finding that, that, that confidence to be able to do that is also really a huge strength. And it's, it's helpful to know how people hire CFOs, right? Like we're, you know, we're considering this and I'm not going to put up a job posting for a CFO and wait to see who comes my way, right? I'm going to reach out to my network. I'm going to figure out who's been awesome. Who have you worked with? We might hire a search firm. They're going to have their network and bring people to us. So it's just not the same type of position you get. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, because the good CFO opportunities are kind of so rare, they don't come up very often. A lot of people who have gone to the CFO rank, they oftentimes have long gaps between jobs because they might move on from one, maybe private equity firm acquired you, that's not the world you want to be in, take some time off, and it might take you several months or, or six months to find a new role. So not all that uncommon, and it boils down to networking. And one of the favorite tips I got from uh, Rob Krolik, who was the former uh, CFO of eBay and Yelp, um, he has actually, so he's a former accountant, so he's quantified his networking, and this was pretty brilliant. He has his rule of 40, is what he calls it. And he writes, he writes down the 40 people in his professional network who he thinks are the most impactful, selfishly, for himself. He splits that into two groups. One group is 20. Those are the people he's close to. He wants to stay in touch regularly. He wants to maybe grab lunch once a quarter, that kind of thing. Then there's the other 20 where just once a year they get a quick email like, hey, hope you're doing well. Hope Christmas is awesome. Just want to update you on what I'm up to. Hope all is well. Let me know if I can help with anything. And so just that, that simple act of a quick email and kind of like having your list that you're going to get after keeps you organized with it and then keeps you in the game with that. And an annual touch point is all that's required for you to be top of mind when people are trying to find a CFO. So rule of 40, that's enough. You know, it's not so many that you can't keep it under control, but it's not too little to where your network's not going to be big enough. So try to find 40 people who can be helpful for you. Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. Um, so while networking, I was also actively job searching through other avenues. And um, I had a recruiter reach out to me on LinkedIn um, which, by the way, I also had the CMO from my company that I was let go from help me with my LinkedIn profile because I hadn't really put a lot of time and effort into that. Um, so he helped me update that to where it would sh show my strengths much better. Um, so reached out. I think that if I hadn't been actively job searching, I might have just blown it off thinking it was 
spam or something. I don't know. But I was like, I will look at any opportunity at this point. So I reached out to him, had a conversation, realized that it actually was real. Um, the company was moving here from California. And they didn't have a network here, so they couldn't just go search themselves for a CFO. Um, met with them and uh, started with them a year ago today and still there and, and loving it. So, yeah. Awesome. And we have 30 seconds. I might run over a couple minutes if you don't mind. I'm curious. So you've been in this role for a year. What is the role like? And what are, if you can, you know, recall some stories in your career where you would have learned some things that have been helpful for the last year, I think that'd be a good place for us to wrap it. Sure. So the company, when I started, um, there were 10 employees. It was very, very tiny. Um, there were, they used QuickBooks and ADP and no other systems. They were writing checks for all their bills and expense reimbursements were all paper and check and who knows when you actually got them. Um, they didn't have a holiday schedule. They, they had nothing. So I showed up and basically took over all of that because it wasn't a priority for the two founders who were trying to go get revenue. Um, so I took on a lot of HR process put in a lot of systems, which I had, I had learned about a lot of systems from my previous roles um, and doing a lot of research. Um, so no, already knowing what to do made that so much faster. Um, I didn't have to research all over again. I just made sure there wasn't anything better out there. Um, and then put it all in place. And um, I just hired my first staff accountant uh, a month ago. So we're growing. <laughs> so you don't have to do that anymore. No? Awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, if I had to summarize it, my takeaway is Intentional learning is very important for figuring out how you want to get there, and then networking is how you actually get the opportunity. Fair summary? Yeah. It's important? Yeah, All right. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Angela, so much. Appreciate you taking Thanks the time for here. Me.